Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, Larry Spargimino welcomes a brand new friend to the program, Dr. Douglas Petrovich. Dr. Petrovich is a recognized expert in biblical history and the exegesis of the biblical languages. Dr. Petrovich recently released his findings of new evidence of Israelites in Egypt from Joseph to the Exodus fascinating evidence you can present the next time someone challenges the biblical record of the Israelites in Egypt. Here's Dr. Douglas Petrovich to discuss his findings. Dr. Douglas Petrovich is our guest. He is a professor of biblical history and exegesis at the Bible Seminary in Houston, Texas. He loves the Lord, loves the Word of God, and he has been trained in the original languages of the Bible and especially in the languages of the ancient world. And he brings a lot of insight to our audience. We do have a book that he has authored. It's called Origins of the Hebrews, New Evidence of Israelites in Egypt from Joseph to the Exodus. And I understand This will show the historicity of the material that we have in the book of Exodus, something that is challenged so many times, and yet we believe that God's word is true. It's not a fairy tale. It's certainly not a myth, and we've got a lot of things to talk about. So, Doug, thank you so much for being our guest. My pleasure, Larry. It's great to be here with you today. Can you tell the listeners a bit about who you are, what you do, and how did you become a Christian? I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, which, of course, you may know that as the city where LeBron is from. I was from there before he was, but, of course, I don't have the same credentials he does. And then moved to Southern California in 1983, haven't lived in Ohio since, and basically the Lord has just taken us different places since then. I did my bachelor's degree from the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And that's where I met my wife. We got married in 1991. And then we went, for me, back to Southern California and worked on two master's degrees at the master's seminary. And after completing those, we went to Siberia, Russia, where we were part of the founding of a seminary, a Christian seminary in the middle of Russia. Literally, it's 11 time zones. And if you go halfway east to west, that's where we were in the Novosibirsk area. So we were there for 10 years, and then we trained Russians to take over for us and left, and that allowed me to do a PhD. So I did a third master's degree at the University of Toronto and went right into the PhD from there and got a PhD in the Near and Middle Eastern Civilizations Department. My major is Syro-Palestinian archaeology in my PhD, and the first minor is Egyptian language, which is hieroglyphics, so Middle and Late Egyptian. I'm married with three adult children, one of whom just recently got married, so I have the first one married, two more to go. So how I became a Christian, back in junior high, I had pretty much grown up in the church. You know, my parents took me. I remember my kindergarten Sunday school teacher learned a lot, but really didn't know if all of that was true. And right about junior high, all of the important questions of life kind of just hit me. What's life all about? Why am I here? What happens after I die? Does God really exist? And if he does, what does he expect of me? Do I have purpose in life? Right? All of these questions and more. And right about that time, I really started to watch carefully the life of the junior high pastor of our church. We were part of a mega church, and there must have been 200 kids, right, in the junior high department. And he seemed to single me out all the time. 
he would ask me questions, you know, how are things going with your family? What's going on at school? Things going well with your sister? Because she came before me, you know, and had gone into high school there, and he knew her well. And, you know, he asked about my spiritual life. And, and watching him with me and with other people, and he would take his vacations and go down on the eastern coast, you know, mainly to Florida, and share the gospel. That's how zealous he was. So basically, God used his life as a model for me that this is what it looks like when a man gives himself over to God. And God really used that to answer my questions and show me that he was real. When people hear that you're a scholar, you have a PhD, Egyptology, hieroglyphics and all, and they think, well, this guy's just floating around in the stratosphere. How does all of this relate to the Bible? Now, I know you love the Bible. You believe in biblical inspiration and errancy and all those good things. Make the connection for us. Mm -hmm. Sure, Larry. I would start by saying definitely I'm educated way beyond my intelligence. I've loved everything I've learned. It's not because I'm extremely brilliant that the Lord gave me the things he did and the discoveries that he allowed me to stumble into. It's because of his equipping and the passions that he gave me, one of which is the Bible. And that's where it started. And this goes back to when I was in Southern California the first time. So from 83 to 88, there was a guy in the church. I was part of a mega church there too. And we had an adult Sunday school class and he just loved to share the gospel. Now I was very introverted. You'd almost never know that, I suppose, if you know me nowadays, but I'm very naturally introverted. And God really pulled me out of my own personality grip to show me that it's not an excuse to use your personality, not to build into the lives of people and to initiate with love, right? Love always initiates, Larry. It always does. And so this guy's name was Mike Sanders, and boy, did he love to share the gospel. And he would try to coerce people in the class to go out on monthly outreaches with him, right, to share the gospel. And of course, I was petrified and I, I refused to consider it. But he would always track me down and we were at a monthly social once and I was trying to hide behind people and he saw that I was there. So he, you know, went around and them and came to me and really just strongly encouraged me to come, just try it out once. And I said, okay, Mike, just to make you happy, I will. So I went with him. And of course, right before it happened, I wanted to cancel. I didn't want to go. But the Lord somehow allowed me enough courage to go ahead and do it. And boy, I just loved it. And he ended up taking me out just one-on-one -on -one later, teaching me how to share the gospel one-on-one. -on -one. And I loved that. And here's the thing, Larry. People asked me questions in those conversations that we had that I couldn't answer. And that frustrated me to death because I knew that person was searching for an answer. And I wanted to give that person an answer. So what happened was God created something in me, this zeal that said, I'm not going to say I don't know twice, right? Now, if it's something I can't know, then I'll tell the person I researched everything I could to figure out the answer to that, and there's just no answer. Like the Trinity, explain the Trinity. Well, you know, good luck with that one, right? For all of us who've had lots of theology classes, it's still difficult. So that's really what God used to take me where I'm at because I had this love of history that started in junior high and this love of the Bible and now this passion for helping people to understand truth and to get answers to their questions. And that has led me to where I am today. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. You have a zeal for Christ, for sharing Christ. Of course, he's what it's all about. 
I remember Francis Schaeffer, one of my, quote, human idols. Now, I don't worship him, but he always said, an honest question deserves an honest answer. I appreciate guys like you, and I consider myself in the same category because I know there are answers for most of the stuff. Of course, the mysteries like the Trinity, that's beyond us. But I'm glad that there are men and women like you and like me who will dig and dig and dig and find the answer. That's so encouraging. Well, Doug, can you give us an overview of the research you've been doing over, say, the last 10 years? I was minding my own business, actually studying for my comprehensive exams. It was in January of 2012. And I was looking online for material for my study. And lo and behold, I bumped into the website for the archaeological excavations at a site in Egypt in the eastern Nile Delta called Avaris. Tel el-Daba, if you want to use that term, that's the modern Arabic term for it. It ends up that these excavations are the most extensive archaeological excavations that have been done anywhere within the ancient Near East. And these excavations have produced an enormous wealth of material. The Austrian government is financing this dig, and it's been going on since I think the 60s in full force. And what they've discovered there is amazing. And there are scholars who came before me who identified that with biblical Ramses, where the Israelites under Jacob settled their family. So I had already by this time published a journal article in 2006 on the Exodus pharaoh. And I tried to make a case there that there's only one pharaoh of the 18th or 19th dynasties who fits all of the biographical requirements of the Exodus pharaoh. And of course, if you take the Bible literally, the guy who's your candidate, he has to nail it on every one of those requirements, right? If he fails on one, that's it. It's kind of like the prophets, right? If a prophet spoke something that wasn't right, he had to be right 100% of the time or that's it's all over. 99% doesn't work. So I had concluded that Amenhotep II is the only candidate that works. And so by that time, I already had this extensive research done. So I knew when the timing of the Exodus was. I knew who the Exodus Pharaoh was. And the timing, of course, is the middle of the 15th century BC. So the early date, the conservative The early date, date of the yeah. Exodus, mm-hmm. contra... Cecil B. DeMille and the Ten Commandments <laughs> and Disney's Prince of Egypt, right? Yeah, what is it, 1280 or something like that? Right. That doesn't fit. Yeah, it doesn't fit the biblical chronology if you take it literally. You have to allegorize the numbers in the chronological passages wow. in the Old Testament, which doesn't work with me. Hermeneutically, which I teach. I teach hermeneutics. So I stumbled on this evidence for the Tenth Plague consisting of animals, and there are four mentioned in Exodus 11 and 12, Dogs, cattle, sheep, and goats. And of course, the sheep and goats are mentioned in reference to the Israelites. And guess what? That's what the archaeologists found more of than anything else. They found mass burials. And Larry, this wasn't in the residential district, right, where the people lived. This is in the palatial district where the king had three palaces and did the work of the state of Egypt there. So they found mass burials of animals, meaning multiple animals buried together. And the majority were sheep and goats, and the majority were in their first year of age. And of course, I went to the Bible, and I looked carefully at the English translations, and it says that the sheep and goats the Israelites were supposed to sacrifice were to be year-olds, right? And I said, hmm, this doesn't make sense because the archaeologists found less than a year old, the majority of them. And some of them had been humanely killed, like a blow to the back of the head. There was one ram that was giving birth, and the ewe died right in the middle of the canal. So there are these odd situations. 
But when you look at the Hebrew text, it actually says literally ben shana, which is son of a year. And that's a term used for less than a year. It was used of the accession year of a king before his reign went into, if he got onto the throne, rather than counting his first year from then, they would wait until the first of the year to count. And so that less than a year period was called a ben shana, a son of a year. That's the term used in the Hebrew Bible. So really our English translations are slightly imprecise on that. It should be less than a year old. And sure enough, what do you know? The archaeology matches it. And the few potsherds that are connected to this from these burials, guess what time they date to? They date to the reigns of most the third and Amenhotep II, his son. And that, of course, is the time of the Exodus Pharaoh. So that's what I stumbled into, and that caused a further research question, which was, if this truly is evidence of Israelites there, and they lived there for 430 years, like Exodus 12, 40 and 41 says, there should be some kind of other evidence. And that sent me on a research quest to see if there could be such evidence. And that's when I fell into one gold mine after another. I have something that makes me very angry, and that's the way a lot of Christian children's books are portrayed. Noah's Ark, you know, it's like a cartoon. And some of the pictures of the events of the Exodus and in Egypt, they're kind of cartoonish. And it breaks my heart because when kids look at that, they think the whole story of Genesis, Noah's Ark, the Exodus, is a big cartoon. You know, it's a myth. We don't have to believe it. So what you're doing, I think, is fantastic. This really happened in time and space. If I had my Nikon, my Canon, I could have been there, take it on pictures and get all the chronology. Fantastic. It is. <laughs> this was a 10-year project to right. research all of this, to get sources, check sources, to write it all up. And so it's now, as of November 2021, my book is in print, Origins of the Hebrews, New Evidence of Israelites in Egypt from Joseph to the Exodus. This is just a tremendous tool that you've written. You certainly have done the digging, <laughs> the archaeology. What's the interest of the Austrian I think you said it was the Austrian government was funding this. Why are they interested in it? It becomes an academic you know, research project. There are lots of digs going on in the biblical world, including Israel, but in and around Israel, let's say, that look at the peoples that are mentioned in the Bible. But most of these digs are begun and run by those who have you know, no commitment to the inerrancy of the Bible at all. In fact, maybe the opposite. Maybe they want to try to show that it's not true, or at least they will propagate the possibility of error in the Bible. What did you discover about the lifetime of Joseph? And what is the significance of the Egyptian names that you found for Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh? Yeah, that's a great question. And that really gets to the heart of some of the work that I did in that research quest that I went on to see if there was some form of evidence for Israelites there for 430 years. And so in Middle Egyptian inscriptions, I was able to, oddly enough, identify several biblical figures. One is Joseph, one is his two oldest sons, Manasseh is the oldest, and then Ephraim is the second, but honor went instead through the birthright to Ephraim rather than Manasseh. And then, oddly enough, one of Manasseh's obscure sons that you only read about in Joshua 17, 2. It's the one list in the Bible that gives us Manasseh's children. He had six, and that son's name is Shechem. And on an inscription, at a site called Sirbit Echadim, which is in Sinai, and that's where Egyptian-led expeditions would go to extract turquoise because they had a lucrative mining industry. 
And the Israelites, the early Israelites there, they were part of this and helped the Egyptians to exploit this and obviously made a mint. They made good money on this because, you know, you find the precious stone and you can sell it, you know, on the market or trade it and become fairly wealthy. And they would record every annual inscription there. What I discovered was that Manasseh is the one who recorded those. He goes by an Egyptian title called the brother of the ruler of Rechenu. A ruler could be like the equivalent of a mayor, for example, especially under Egyptian control. And the brother of signifies that he's less than someone who's called the ruler of Rechenu. And sure enough, at that same period at Avaris, that site I mentioned is biblical Ramses, there was an inscription found in, in a tomb. And this guy, this contemporary, his title is ruler of Rechenu. And his name is Disobek Amchat. These two are brothers. And the name of the brother of the ruler of Rechenu, who would be on these expeditions down to Serbe al-Khadim in Sinai, his name is fascinating. It's never used before or after in Egyptian history. It's a passive participle in Middle Egyptian. And it means he who was disfavored. Well, what happened to Manasseh? Favor was taken away from him when the birthright went to his younger brother, right? And his son, on a different inscription, is named Shechem, which is the name of one of the six sons of Manasseh. Disobekamchat, he who was appointed by Sobekamchat. This is the ruler of Rechenu. This is the mayor of Avaris. Well, who is Sobekamchat then? The guy who appointed him to be the mayor of Avaris. Well, if you look into the records of ancient Egypt, you will find that Sobekamchat, he was the first vizier under Sesostris III, who has to be, according to biblical chronology, the famine pharaoh. And that fits for the time that Jacob moves his family there. So Sobekamchat is the first vizier under Sesostris III. And that makes perfect sense with biblical history because Joseph was appointed second in command in Egypt and it all fits perfectly. Well, we've been delighted. I know I have been, and our audience, I'm sure, has been delighted also to hear Dr. Douglas Petrovich. He's the author of Origins of the Hebrews, New Evidence of Israelites in Egypt from Joseph to the Exodus. Douglas, thank you so much for being our guest. My pleasure, Larry. Make sure you get a copy of Dr. Douglas Petrovich's fascinating new book, Origins of the Hebrews, New Evidence of Israelites in Egypt from Joseph to the Exodus. This hardback book is over 300 pages with an enormous amount of research of historical events and archaeological artifacts verifying Israelite residents in Egypt from 1876 to 1446 B.C. Never again will students of the Bible have to listen to uninformed university professors denounce the story of Israelites in Egypt without a ready defense for its validity. Order your copy of Origins of the Hebrews by Dr. Douglas Petrovich today. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online swrc.com. We're excited to announce that Dr. Petrovich will be speaking at this weekend's Prophecy Conference in Tri-Cities, Tennessee. 
If you're in the Northeast Tennessee, Southwest Virginia area, make sure you come see Dr. Petrovich and the 10 other speakers that'll be there. Get all the information on this exciting conference, including complete schedule, at our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com, and click on Events, the Tri-Cities Tennessee Mega Conference, this Friday and Saturday, swrc.com. All of us here at Watchmen on the Wall want to wish Ministry President Dr. Kenneth Hill a happy birthday today. We appreciate him and his leadership of SWRC. In fact, Dr. Kenneth Hill is here now with some encouraging thoughts from Psalm 120. Well, thank you for joining me. I appreciate the opportunity I've been given to have a short time of devotion with you as we look together at Psalm 120. Psalm 120. And so while you're getting there, I want to invite you to find Psalm 120 if you're not traveling. If you are traveling, just listen and (laughs) and don't worry about getting off the road or anything unless you have to because Some people get disturbed when they start studying Scripture. Not that they're disturbed to the nth degree, but they get perturbed a little bit, and they have to stop so they can think. And I understand that. Sometimes it takes me stopping to think. And what does it say? It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Wow. So God knows there are people that have to stop and be still to know what God is saying. There are others that can double track or triple track. And yet Paul said, this one thing I do, and he was pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I understand that. I understand multitasking. I understand trying to do it all by myself as well. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, Thou false tongue. That's a deceitful tongue. And we have heard of false news and fake news, and that's a deceitful tongue trying to deliver news to you. Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. That's what you're going to get. Woe is me that I sojourn in Mesek that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Psalm 120, God is for peace, but the world around us 
is for war. Well, we have only a few moments in this session to thank God for the fact that he is for peace. And when we have war, as we see around us in these days, we should hearken back to peace and know that our God is a God of peace. He makes peace. He gives us peace. He has peace for us. It flows like a river. It's like a pasture that's filled with green grass for those animals to graze. All of the good things are provided by God Almighty in his peaceful estate. And so here in this psalm, we read about how difficult it is for the man or woman of this earth to discover and live in peace. Peace is devoured by the world that wants war. How sad. In reality, how sad. And so, with those around us, some seeking peace, some seeking war, we, as a follower of Jesus Christ, should seek peace and in all things be peaceable that he that is the Lord Jesus Christ shall be peaceful unto us. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving to us your peace. And thank you for that peace that passeth all understanding. Thank you for giving us broad spectrums of peace. Thank you for loving us with all of the love that can ever be known. You have it all, and you have it all for us, and I thank you for that. And Lord, I would pray that for those who are facing war today, and this isn't someone speaking of hyperbole, but Really, there are people facing war and death and famine today. And Lord, as they face this death, bring them into your peace that they may know the Lord Jesus Christ as the giver of peace and that they may know the peace that is indeed passing all understanding. And may each of us know that peace, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Order your copy of Origins of the Hebrews, New Evidence of Israelites in Egypt from Joseph to the Exodus by Dr. Douglas Petrovich. This hardback book is over 300 pages with an enormous amount of research of historical events and archaeological artifacts verifying Israelite residents in Egypt from 1876 to 1446 B.C.
Call 1-800-652-1144 and order your copy today. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, Larry Stamm continues his look into the Jewish roots of Christianity. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.